greetings. I bring you warm greetings from your brothers and sisters of Chiesa Riformata Philadelphia in Milan, Italy. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and also to bring you God's Word this morning in my mother tongue, in English. And so uh, we pray that the Lord will bless us in our time together as we receive His Word and as we seek to worship Him as well in, in listening to that Word. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning? And please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's letter to Timothy, the second one, chapter 3. Chapter 3, and I want to read down to chapter 4, verse 5. This is God's Word. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. That happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. 
Well, this morning, loved ones, I want to direct your attention to this letter of 2 Timothy, which in many ways is a missionary letter. Uh, We could argue that all of Paul's letters are missionary letters in the sense that he was a missionary. He was an apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul, but for 30 years of apostolic ministry, he led three long missionary journeys and went church planting everywhere, wrote to churches, sought to encourage churches, went back and revisited those churches. Paul was a missionary. And now he's writing this letter at the end of his life. And in many ways, 2 Timothy is very unique. It offers us something that no other letter in the the Pauline corpus offers us in the sense that it gives us a window into the life of this aged apostle after 30 years of ministry, and he's at the end now. He's at the end of his life. He wrote this letter during his second Roman imprisonment. So he's in Rome, facing death, and he won't get out this time. And he writes to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, And this is the last thing he wants to say to him. Imagine that, something that you want to say to someone who is very dear to you. You know you're going to die. You know this is the end. Your time is short. You're being poured out like a drink offering, as he says. And the last thing you want to say to someone you love more than anyone is what? For Paul, he was passing the torch of apostolic ministry to an ordinary minister in this church at Ephesus. It was a transitional time for Christianity, going from the, the, the passing on of the apostles to ordinary pastoral ministry, Christian life without the apostles. What does he want to say? Well, if you read this letter, for about three chapters, he gives some encouragement, some warnings, and then he comes into chapter 4 and he gives them his, his great charge. Uh, This was an important period because the question really was, how will Christianity survive? The apostles are moving on. Paul is in prison. He spent a lot of his time as an apostle in prison. But this time he wouldn't get out. How would Christianity move on into the next generation? And it was a time when Christianity was very weak in the culture. It had no political leverage, no economic power, no cultural influence. And the Roman Empire was very, very pagan. If you've had opportunity to to visit Italy, to visit Rome, and you can see the, 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 the Roman ruins that are still standing, the Pantheon or the Forum, or you can go all over the peninsula and find beautiful monuments that testify to the power and the glory of Rome in the first century, but also of how much it was a pagan, pagan world. Uh, In the Roman Empire in that time, religious devotion to the myriad of gods was rampant. Sacrifices and temple prostitution were ordinary parts of Roman spirituality. So was emperor worship, uh, as evidenced by the the massive marble arches that commemorate Rome's victories in battle and and their leaders in the military. In fact, patriotism and religious devotion were practically inseparable in Roman life, not just in the city of Rome, but throughout the empire. 
also in Ephesus where Timothy was ministering. Then there was the worship of sports and entertainment. People lived for the games, games in which there was often very little regard for human life. Moreover, it was a culture steeped in sexual immorality, debauchery, and self-indulgence. So male homosexuality, pedophilia, those things were, were all considered to be acceptable practices in society. And so that's the world in which the early church lived. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The apostles have gone for 30 years trying to apply the Great Commission, doing the mission of the church, planting churches, but it's living in this type of world. And it was often subject to persecutions. It lived in a spiritually dark place as a vast minority with little influence, and it had no protection until the year 313 A.D., at the Edict of Milan, when the Emperor Constantine enacted the Edict of Milan. Back then, Milan was the capital of the Roman Empire. And it finally gave Christianity legal status. And that's when church buildings began to be built. Okay, Paul writes this, first century, mid-first century. Christianity doesn't have protection from the state until 313. How did it survive for almost 300 years in a pagan world where we're spiritually dark, they were the subjects of state-sponsored persecution, and it has almost no political, cultural, or economic power. How did it survive? Now, this is an important question for us today, loved ones, as we consider the mission of the church. And as we see Christianity today slowly moving into cultural exile, slowly becoming weakened, and slowly the, 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 the glory of the Western civilization that we've enjoyed for so long seems to be collapsing, how will Christianity survive? It's a relevant question for us today. And the way that it survived in those first three centuries was not by winning the culture wars. It was by believers who were committed to the gospel mission of the church and willing to submit to King Jesus, no matter the cost. That's how Christianity survived for those 300 years. And we want to think about that today as we consider Paul's powerful description of the difficulty in the last days that he warns us about. Let's think about the times in which we live, the trouble that is to come, and the word in which we trust. Let's think about those three things together this morning in our time. First of all, the times in which we live. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Last days is a sort of code for everything that comes after the ascension of Jesus. Because the Bible often uses this terminology to describe the period between Christ's first and second coming as the last days. Uh, Hebrews opens up and says, God spoke to us in times past through prophets and, and, and various uh, visions and special revelation. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. So everything before Christ is considered ancient history. Last days is everything from the first coming to the second coming of Christ. 
And Paul says, perilous times will come. Now, in many ways, perilous times are nothing new. I mean, all you have to do is read history, and you know there's been perilous times in every generation and every century. You read the Bible, and you see that, well, there's been spiritual darkness, Pastor Mike, in every period, whether we're talking about the days of Noah or the days of the judges or the split kingdom of Israel or anything. There's always been perilous times. True. But Paul is telling Timothy about something different on the horizon in the sense that these will be perilous times after the ascension of Jesus Christ. The Son of God came into this world, lived the perfect life that we never lived as the second Adam, paid the price for our sins upon the cross, was raised from the dead in glory, ascends into heaven where he has all authority, all power in heaven and on earth, inaugurates the new creation, but there will be perilous times as that gospel goes out. It will be times of difficulty, not ease. Yes, Satan is bound so that he cannot deceive the nations, but that simply means that the gospel will be able to go out to the nations. It doesn't mean that Satan can't still bring difficulty and trouble. Jesus told his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And looking back over the last several centuries, loved ones, we can see a a progression of of evil. We can see a a progression of the way in which the world thinks about God and themselves. For example, for the first 16 centuries after Paul writes this letter to Timothy, Uh, as Christianity spread throughout the world, it was commonly understood that God's revelation stands over human reason. In, In theological debates, typically centered on what has God said in His Word. Most people assuming that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. Then during the late 17th and early 18th centuries, a period known as modernity arose. And new claims from Enlightenment philosophers popularized the idea that no human reason stands over God's revelation, that we can reason our way into anything through the scientific method. And that eventually changed the way that most Westerners viewed the authority of Scripture, which is why you find very few people in Europe today that believe in the the authority of the Bible. Higher criticism, skepticism began to ascend. And debate shifted from what God has said in His Word to the question of whether or not we can even trust the Bible at all. Then, as time moved on, in the late 19th century came the rise of Darwinism, which gradually altered the way much of the world thinks about the origins of the universe and the nature of human life. And the consequence of those ideas is that we now live in a society where human autonomy is worshipped and viewing the Bible as the authoritative Word of God is seen as radically superstitious, if not dangerous. And so what do we see? We've seen how ethics have changed consequently. So things like cohabitation, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism are all now considered to be perfectly normal in Western society. Things that were once forbidden are now celebrated. 
Things that were once considered absurd are now considered natural and good. And consequently, Christians are increasingly seen as backward, radical, dangerous to society. Biblical Christianity is moving into cultural exile. And and understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, Paul says. These are the times in which we live, whether we want to face it or not. And, And Paul says that this seismic shift in thinking will be characteristic of these days. The world will not increase in righteousness, even though there's been so much good that Christianity has had upon the culture, so many things we can point to and see how pagan sacrifices have ended over here or or a society has become better over there because of the influence of the gospel on the whole as paul says the world will not increase in righteousness according to what paul says in this passage we ought not expect a golden age of morality and peace before the return of christ instead he describes a world filled with the love of self rather than the love of god And so that brings us now to the the second thing we want to consider, the trouble that will come. And this is a dismal picture that Paul paints here, is he really catalogs 19 evil characteristics of the last days, okay? But notice what he does. He sort of bookends them with this emphasis on misplaced love. For men will be lovers of themselves, narcissism. Lovers of money, greed. Lovers of pleasure, hedonism, rather than lovers of God. Narcissism, greed, hedonism. That was the world of the Roman Empire. And the truth is, none of us have to look very far today to see that in our own world, in our own society. And when that becomes the love, because often, As we all know, being sinners, we're prone to self-love. We're driven to self-love rather than the love of God. When that happens, all of these other things that he lists come out. Proud, arrogant, abusive. Well, do we see that today? Uh, One modern example of proud, arrogant, and abusive is the sheer lack of respect that people have for each other over the internet and social media. Even Christians being proud, arrogant, and abusive. Why? Because we're lovers of self rather than lovers of God. For a lover of God will love his neighbor. And then he talks about the influence on the family. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. In an ideal society... We wouldn't see this. The relationship of children to their parents would be marked by obedience, respect, gratitude, and affection. But a society where self is worshipped, all of that is turned upside down and it violates the natural order that God has created. And we see that in our own culture. We see that all throughout Western culture today where parents make the child the center of the family's life. Fathers are depicted as buffoons in film and television. And, and, and married couples are opting for co-parenting through divorce as a viable option to the commitment of marriage. All of that is considered normal today. 
The fruit of those things is that people become ungrateful, heartless, unappeasable. It's a dismal list, the trouble that will come. People will be slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. We see all of this in the world. We see people, we become accustomed to slanderous attacks on social media or on our favorite news channel about another image bearer. We see violent, reckless protests by people frustrated with society. Even though we've made such great advancements in the world through technology, medicine, engineering, we seem powerless to truly live with one another in peace and decency. This is the difficulty that Paul outlines for us in this passage. And then he adds in verse 5 that these times of difficulty are not confined to a pagan society, but will also negatively influence the church. There will be people having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He, 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 he describes professing Christians who give lip service to the gospel, but, but ultimately look to themselves rather than to Christ for life-changing power. They may practice an external form of religion, but in their actual beliefs, they're practical atheists, says Paul. And unfortunately, that's become really the common theme, especially in, in American evangelicalism, sad to say. Market research guru George Barna has observed, he says, in short, the spirituality of America is Christian in name only. We desire experience more than knowledge. We prefer choices to absolutes. We embrace preferences rather than truths. We seek comfort rather than growth. Faith must come on our terms or we reject it, says Barna. We have enthroned ourselves as the final arbiters of righteousness, the ultimate rulers of our own experience and destiny. We are the Pharisees of the new millennium. How is Christianity supposed to survive in this climate is the question. And you're saying... You brought this guy from Italy to bring us this bad news? I wanted to hear some good news this morning. You have any idea what my week has been like, Pastor? I know I'm there with you. But there is good news. There is good news. And Paul goes on after he outlines all of this, and he tells us about the word in which we trust. The word in which we trust. The gospel. Because after painting this dark picture to help Timothy understand the urgency of preaching the Word of God faithfully, he gives him that great charge. He wants Timothy to put his confidence not in himself, but in the Word, which alone is able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why he goes on in verses 16 and 17 to speak of the authority of Scripture. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, to charge him to preach the Scriptures, preach the Word. Yes, people will come with itching ears, turning to teachers and accumulating teachers for themselves and running off into myths, whether it's the Enlightenment or Darwinism or what have you. But as for you, he says to Timothy, and today the Holy Spirit says, as for you, Christ Church Presbyterian, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. 
fulfill your ministry as a church, as a church, as a light to the Charleston area, as a light to the world, as one who influences the world not through political, cultural, and economic power, but through gospel witness, through the word in which we trust. Because this is what he's talking about here. Nothing but the power of the gospel, nothing but the power of the word can change the radical corruption of the human heart. And that's why this is the last thing Paul wants to say to Timothy. He doesn't say, Timothy, after all my 30 years of apostolic ministry and all my shipwrecks and imprisonments and beatings, the one thing I've learned is you better build a better society. He says, preach the word. Preach the word. That's the key. And the church today must have confidence in that mission. Just as Jesus said on that mountain to those disciples right before he ascended, he says, all right, I'm leaving you, you ragtag group of people. I love you, but here's what you do. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them as you go, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And that commission hasn't changed. It's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. And the thing we need to remember and the thing we need to have our confidence in is this word, is the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel. We often are tempted to look for external solutions to the internal problems of sin. Uh, we tend to think that, well, more laws and better public policies will produce righteousness in the human heart. That if we just get the right pieces in place politically or pass the right laws, times of difficulty will come to an end. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be active. We need to love our neighbor. We need to have a good magistrate. We need good laws. But we need to remember that laws can only confine sin a little bit, reveal the, the, the boundaries it cannot, it is impossible and powerless to change the human heart. It can expose and restrain sin, but it cannot produce righteousness. Oh, loved ones, we need to understand what Paul is saying here. As Paul said in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, For if there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But there's something else. That's needed to change the radical corruption in the heart. It's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing what God has done for us through his son. To redeem a people for himself. Paul says preach that word. The, the difference, you know, between the, the law and the gospel in that way. Uh, you know, many years ago this was once... Um, uh, 
enlightened, it enlightened me, this, this concept, uh, by, I was enlightened by a story or by a report, really, that my older son, Isaac, brought home after one visit to the San Diego Zoo. We used to get passes to the zoo when we lived in San Diego, and he loved to go visit the, the tiger ex- exhibit and see the, the massive Malaysian tigers. And beautiful, if you've ever seen, the San Diego Zoo is the most beautiful zoo in the world. And the tiger exhibit is really spectacular, these massive creatures, muscular and just giant cats. And one day he was there and he sees a duck fly in to the exhibit, completely clueless that he's in a tiger exhibit. He just thought he was in a lush part of San Diego of the stream and trees. And, oh, this is beautiful. Kind of shakes off you know, his feathers and waddles over to the, the stream there. The tiger saw the duck, like, like a cat would see, you know, a, a little bird or something. And it went into its, you know, this massive, impressive creature. And it started to stalk the duck. Duck doesn't see. And it goes quicker, 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 snatches up the duck in its jaws, and, you know, feathers are flying, and boys are cheering, and, you know, it's just a spectacle. What's the point here? The, the law is like the, the walls of the exhibit. It confines sin. It, it puts some boundaries on sin. But it can't change the nature of the tiger. The tiger is still a tiger. The tiger doesn't say, well, I'm civilized now. I'm not going to eat that duck. I live in San Diego in the zoo. Still a tiger. And the point being is that what Paul is telling Timothy about preach the word Christ, the word, is what changes the tiger's heart. It's what changes our heart. It's what moves us from being people described in chapter 3, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, unappeasable, heartless, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, loving good, to being what? Full of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Only the gospel can do that. That's our mission. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. Be thankful that you're in a place where it's preached faithfully and frequently. And with passion and sincerity. And pray that it gets preached everywhere. The question is, do we have confidence in that preaching? Do we have confidence in the word? Do we trust that God is able to use his word even in the darkest of days and most difficult of times? One man who, distrib- who demonstrated that kind of confidence in the word of God was one of the first missionaries that went to China. A Scottish Presbyterian by the name of Robert Morrison. Uh, when China was completely closed to the rest of the world, more or less. And uh, in 1805, the London Missionary Society recruited Morrison to go to China and to learn the Chinese language, which at that time was illegal, and to preach the gospel. And when the owner of the ship was going over that way, and uh, you couldn't even go into China, you had to stop, you know, before uh, to do trade. He was so skeptical when he heard of this missionary, this, this Presbyterian minister, Morrison, 
He said, well, Mr. Morrison, he's like, do you really expect that you'll make some spiritual impact on the idolatry of the great Chinese empire? And Morrison replied, no, sir, but I expect God will. Preach the word, Paul says. That's our mission. Be faithful. That's the answer to the question of how Christianity will survive in times of difficulty in the last days. It will survive the same way that it survived since the days of Robert Morrison as he preached the word in China, in the same way that it did when it passed from Paul to Timothy, in the same way that it did for those 300 years before the Edict of Milan. And it will continue into the world and throughout the world from now until the time that Jesus returns if we preach the word, because he has promised us that he will build his kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we pray that we would be faithful to hear, read, and meditate upon your word, that we would be mindful of the times in which we live, but Lord, that we would put our trust in you and in your word, for your word will endure forever. Oh Lord, give us hearts of compassion for those whose hearts have not yet been regenerated and changed by the gospel, by Christ, by this word that is proclaimed. Give us zeal, give us courage, protect us, O Lord, from fear, for you have not given us a spirit of fear. Lord, we pray that we would unleash this word in love, in mercy, and in compassion to the world, to our neighbors, to our loved ones. Lord, we pray that you would send missionaries into this dark world so that more and more churches can be planted where disciples of Jesus Christ will be made through the ordinary means of grace. Keep us steady, O Lord, we pray, until the return of your Son. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.